Hey friends, welcome to episode 103 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Dara Swift. Thank you so much for listening in today. And I have an amazing show for you. It is a first on Fierce Calling. I have a brother in Christ with me, and he has written an amazing book called Made for Eden, Promises and Provisions of the Life God Created. And we're talking about that, friends, because we were made for Eden. And this is a fallen world. And what does that mean? And how does that connect? And we're going to talk about it. It's really a powerful conversation. So don't miss it. And remember that Fierce Calling is part of the Spark Network that can be found on the Edify app. So download the Edify app, E-D-I-F-I, today at the Apple or Google Play stores and listen to amazing Christian podcasts. So friends, yeah, you are not going to want to miss this episode with Dr. Brian McIntosh. It is so powerful. And we're going to talk about how God made us for more, but we don't have to wait for that more. We can experience it right now here on earth. And isn't that an encouraging word that we all need to hear today? And I know that what is shared on this show is going to encourage, inspire, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Dr. Brian McIntosh. Welcome back to the Fierce Calling Podcast. This is a first for Fierce Calling. My first brother in Christ as a guest today. I'm so excited to welcome him. Dr. Brian McIntosh is a native of Dalton, Georgia. He's a graduate of Duke University with a bachelor's in public policy and political science. He received his Master of Divinity from Columbia International University and a PhD in New Testament from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he has worked in corporate marketing for the last 17 years, which I have to think that's probably pretty handy when you have a book that just came out. Um, Brian yes. has been married. Yeah, it has, right? Um, he has a lovely wife he's been married to named Lynn for the last 27 years. And they have two beautiful daughters, Sarah and Anne. And a new book has just released, which we're gonna talk about it, and I'm very excited. Made for Eden, Promises and Provisions of the Life God Created You to Live. Thank you for being on. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful. Uh, hopefully having a wife and two daughters, I'll be able to identify with your listeners well. Well, I believe so. And I think I'm going to call you Dr. Brian. That's what I call your mom, Dr. That's Helen. Because <laughs> both your mom and your sister have been on the show Dr. Helen and Blythe McIntosh Daniel, who have been on because they had books that have come out. And Blythe is my agent. And I just love your family so much. It's just a family thing with all this good stuff happening. And so I would love if you would share a little bit about your story and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Right. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to quote a message in a few moments because I do uh, find the title kind of matches what I want to say. And, and that title is Finding Me in the Story of the and I'll, I'll refer to it in a moment, but I, I do, from a young age, found my story in God's story. Uh, I, I knew that, you know, again, having a parents full of faith and, and watching them exercise that, that as I wrote in my foreword, you know, I, I had family who showed me that the word of God was worth knowing and taking into my heart. And so, you know, as a teenager, I, we hosted a Bible study in our home and I really grew uh, 
under uh, that time and had leadership in it. You know, at my time at Duke, I was very involved in a Christian fellowship and primarily small groups and, you know, just grew to love people getting together and talking about the word. Uh, and so after seminary, we, we served a small church in uh, Aiken area of South Carolina. And then just really had a growing sense that uh, I needed to be a teacher of the word. I, I felt like I was supposed to do so professionally. And so I went and got that additional degree and uh, we, we enjoyed our years in Kentucky. Career-wise, I did take a, a, a hard turn towards another uh, pursuit and it brought us back close to family. And, and I have enjoyed those years in, in marketing, working for a family business and you know, engaging in a lot of ministry avocationally. So my passion and, and, and compassion really is that people understand the, the interconnectedness of Scripture. Uh, my doctoral dissertation was comparing uh, basically the righteousness of Abraham in, in Genesis 15 and then in Romans and Galatians. And so I've, I've always had this integrative heart that just says, you know, God, we have 66 books for a reason. And you know, there so many want to draw uh, distinct lines between the God of the old and the new. And yet, you know, he says that uh, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So we have to wrestle with that unchanging nature of God and, and interpret what he was doing across times uh, of his people. And, and so this book is an attempt at that. I joked that, you know, to, for your first book to start in Genesis and end in Revelation is a pretty heady uh, pursuit. For sure. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to be much more narrow in my next one, writing again. But yeah, just this idea that, again, to find the unity in Scripture, um, I, I consider this book really a, a biblical theology and it's tracing one theme of identity, purpose, uh, you know, calling, uh, ultimately calling to be his ambassador. So that's kind of our, our story, you know, and as an introduction to why I wrote, um, you know, part of it is uh, sort of against scratching an itch that I know has been there for a long time of just, again, helping people to understand the scripture and apply it to their life. That is, um, if I could say one overriding passion of, of my life, it's that um, because his word is so precious and uh, his words are powerful. And so we need to understand them and apply them. Amen. Thank you. That is a fierce calling for sure. I love how you said finding me in the story of thee. That is really amazing. I love that so much. And I love how the book talks about what would have been if the fall hadn't happened or what was our original, like what, what was God's original intentions for us and sure. the purpose and how our purpose comes from identity. And if you could talk a little bit about that, about Eden and why we were made for Eden. Right. Well, thankfully, I can attribute where that uh, phrase, finding me in the story of the comes from. Uh, this was at the Passion Conference. Louis Giglio delivered kind of the final message for those young people. And uh, I, I commend the sermon. It's out uh, on their resource page as well as YouTube. But, you know, it, it's not, one of the phrases that resonates with my book is that identity is received, not achieved. Mm. And so when, when God said, you know, let their, you know, want to create man, create woman, uh, that, that creation was very good. Again, he, he gave a sense that they were the highest of the creation and mm. he, he gives them a purpose, you know, be fruitful, multiply, cover the earth, you know, rule and reign, uh, exercise the, the dominion that, that he meant for us. So to me, I, I say that the sample size of life before sin is very small. 
you know, three chapters into Genesis, the fall is happening. But there's so much in those first two chapters that that sets the direction for our lives, I believe. And, and so we can't just go right to sin and its effects. I mean, obviously they are separated from the garden because of their sin. It says an angel was stationed uh, at the edge of the garden to to prevent them from, from re-entry. Uh, and yet, you know, at the end of Scripture in Revelation, we see there, you know, there is once again a tree of life. There is a perfected place where we will we will again have access. And it actually mentions an angel there. So I think it ironic, potentially God places that same angel as one to welcome us in instead of preventing us, but just because of the beauty of what Jesus did. So, so yes, my a basic contention of the book is that uh, from identity, we get purpose. So identity is, is received. It's not something we achieve or earn, uh, but from that comes purpose. And so, you know, again, we, we don't use the word dominion or, or rule very often, but we see clearly like in First Peter, he talks about us as kings and priests, you know, people for God's own possession. I contend that we didn't lose that role. One of the emphases of the book is that that role takes on many names. Uh, in the Old Testament, you know, you see steward used a lot. Um, I think in the New Testament, you see those references I gave to Peter, of, you know, kings and priests, uh, ambassadors that Paul was the term he uses in Second Corinthians 5, discuss that quite a bit in the book. Um, and so when, you know, when people sort of adopt the thought uh, that, you know, we're just here to hold on until heaven, I, I contend, no, we're told the, the identities that we have because we are children of God in the New Testament, that those, those roles are still very important. Uh, God has no plan B for spreading his message other than that we be ambassadors of reconciliation, as Paul says. And so I, I believe that reconciliation is firmly in the work of Jesus and gets us back to that original intention that we be his stewards, his heralds of what he has done in salvation and, uh, you know, people for his own possession. Mm, That is so good right there. And I love how you said identity is received, not achieved, because it's so opposite from what the world tells us or what the world wants us to believe and trying to strive and all the things about trying to find ourselves and those kind of things. And really it's all tied into who we are in Christ. And I love that. And I heard you say recently, which really struck me that we feel like we're just a cleaned up version of our old selves. And I think a lot of us can struggle with that at times. Can you talk a little bit about that? Certainly. I was having a conversation after Bible study last night with someone who was reading 2 Corinthians 5, 17 about us being new creations. And I said, Absolutely, we are. <laughs> we have to trumpet that message. But yes, I, I, I feel like because of all the uh, just in culture, you know, you, you come out with Windows 10 and then you come out with the next version, you know, that everything's just an improvement upon uh, what already existed. And I, the more I read uh, Paul and the entire New Testament, and I read people outside of Scripture like C.S. Lewis, who I lean heavily upon in my chapter four, talking about new creation, is that God plowed us up and replanted us. You know, I think so many of the the agricultural um, images that Jesus uses about seed and planting and harvest those are those are all echoes of this thought that again we're not just um, you know a, a better version. We're not just as he said, you know, sin is cleansed, but that we have no new power. 
Um, I use the analogy recently in a, in a discussion that it's like a baby who's born. Uh, there are characteristics of both parents, but ultimately they are a new creation. They are a unique expression of a creative God. And so I, I, I just feel that in the New Testament. We're, you know, he's, when Paul uses the word new in 2 Corinthians 5, it, it means uh, it's new in time, but also uh, unique in nature. You know, it, it, it's something entirely different than it was. That's why he can say the old has passed away, the new has come. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, we, we really need to understand that because we don't have uh, very many cultural parallels. You know, and we, we just all contend to carry around our baggage of what we've done, what we felt like we were, what others have told us uh, we are or were. Mm-hmm. And, and the scripture tells a different story that, that in Christ at the time, we, we come into his family, that we are something distinct from what we were. We have new privileges. We have new power. Uh, and we have a renewed purpose. So that that's how I, I see that. Of we're not just cleaned up. We are distinct and new. And therefore, we're able to receive the life of God within ourselves that gives power to our daily life. Thank you for sharing that. That is really powerful. And how you said God plowed us up and replanted us. It's a different, it's whole new. And, you know, instead of us trying to always be better versions of ourselves, you know, we hear that term a lot and it's so tied to achievements or trying to earn something and we don't have to earn anything. Right. That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, on that, you know, I'll, I'll segue quickly into another chapter seven where I say, you know, why is the good news, good news. And, you know, to me, that's it. You know, most every other world religion, it's about, you know, improving yourself, you know, and, and sadly, it has carried over into Christian literature, you know, and I'm not going to name names, but there, you can go find plenty of titles in the self-help section about, you know, being a better you um, and, and living a better life. And while a, a better life, as God sees it, is a result of, of your intimacy with him. It is not something, going back to that thing of identity is received, you know, not on works of righteousness, which we have done, you know, but by his mm-hmm. grace, he saved us. I mean, you just, we can't read the New Testament uh, without bumping into these ideas that it's all the work of God and that we just simply yield ourselves. We allow ourselves to be plowed up and replanted. And, uh, and then the, fr- the great fruit can come out of our life. You know, Jesus talks about trimming branches you know, that are, mm-hmm. that they may bear more fruit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's processes that God uses to sharpen us and grow us, but they are not of our own accord. Yeah. So true. And all of those motivational type books and things about how we can be better and all of those things, they're not really tied to an eternal message. And so if we fail at that, then it's like, where are we now kind of thing, instead of having that firm foundation. And I also love how you have talked about that the longings that we have in our heart are an echo of us having been made for a perfect environment. So those things that are Mm -hmm. in us, God put those there. So if you could talk a little bit about that, I found that to be really impactful too. Yeah, I've, you know, I'm a reader, and through the years, it informed my book to to look at people talking about the heart. Um, John Eldridge and Ransom Hart are one of those. Uh, Fred Beekner also uh, has you know is an influence. He has one called you know the Gospel is uh, was it about fairy tales. You know, he we we could almost laugh at some of the ways Scripture describes the, the message, but 
you know, the, the thought is that we, we long for all those great things, you know, a beautiful sunset, uh, music, art, uh, love, you know, uh, in relationships. I, I really believe, you know, those are all expressions of the, the, the intimacy that God wants to have with us. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. I really believe, you know, those are all expressions of the the intimacy that God wants to have with us. You know, he he talks in, in Romans, Paul does about, you know, basically we're not without a witness of God. We'll just look at his creation. Um, you know, I, so there's those echoes. Yeah. I, Lewis says it basically this way, that if, if, if all those desires could be fulfilled here, then it would, it would be an indication that we were meant for what we're experiencing now, this fallen world. But he says, you know, the fact that those desires are unmet doesn't mean they're bad desires. It means we were made for another world. And, and I just, you know, we, we, we long for, you know, Romans eight says, you know, that the creation is groaning for the, re- the redemption or the revelation of the sons of God. So there's a, there's a role we have in, 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 in using our influence during this life um, to, to restore all that God wished this world to be for, you know, we are going to experience a new heaven, and new earth. You know, we, we think of, heaven is, is just, you know, angels on clouds, but, uh, you know, we have a long way to go in our, our really scriptural understanding of heaven. And, you know, we're, we're going to have, this earth is going to be restored to its former beauty and, and, and perfection. And we'll be a part of that. So, you know, we have such a very exciting future, um, but it will be an active one as we continue our, our dominion over what God has made. That is so exciting to think about it. And I love how you brought all that and kind of unpacked it all and how the book also encompasses from the beginning to revelation, because it's like a full circle of the redemption and where we come back to and where we truly are meant to be. And so that is very exciting and encouraging, especially in the face of crazy town things happening in our world that we have this hope, right? And so, so what does it mean now for the New Testament church? Well, I, uh, I've drawn to a scripture that I've written down and this is Jesus at his baptism where, you know, the father, the voice from heaven comes and says, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. And, and pastor Giglio interacts with that scripture in that message and just says, you know, at that point, Jesus had not walked on water. He hadn't cast out a demon. He hadn't healed anyone, hadn't turned water to wine, hadn't fed 5,000, and he hadn't gone to the cross. So why was God pleased or happy with him? And, and I think in part, it's because he knew Jesus was going to fulfill the purpose that he had sent him to earth to do, and that was to purchase our redemption. And so you know, God is pleased when we live out our purpose that he has ordained for us. And, and for, you know, I, I see that again in the numerous roles that we're told we have. And so for the New Testament church, I think it's it's taking the story of God throughout scripture and saying, you know, we, we have been made the people of God. We are an extension of, you know, his his original people. We are now grafted into the family and, and we have all these new resources 
at, at our disposal. Uh, I was reading Romans 8 and uh, the Passion Translation this morning and basically saying that we are heirs of God, uh, Romans 8, 17, and therefore we have access to all of his treasures. You know, Ephesians 1, 3 says we, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And so I, the, the provisions part of my subtitle, about promises and provisions, is as a New Testament body of believers, we have to understand what has been promised to us in the new covenant. You know, it's not just forgiveness of sin. It is, you know, I, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly, John 10, 10 b you know, there, there's just so much that, that Paul unpacks as he instructs the, the various churches that he writes to. And, uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, I work mightily according to the power that works within me. You know, they're just, uh, Paul's letters are so beautiful and rich. And, you know, I, certainly if I could choose a scriptural character that I hope people understand greater as a result of, of reading the book. It's, it's Paul, you know, here he was a persecutor of the church. And yet he says, you know, all the accolades that I've had, you know, I set them aside uh, in, in, in favor of knowing Christ and the power of his suffering and the, and the power of his resurrection. And so I just feel like there's, you know, there, there are things being spoken from our pulpits that, that stop short of these promises. They stop short of understanding all that we have received when we come into the family of God and receive the Holy Spirit. There's just an inheritance that is all throughout the New Testament that I find I didn't live for a time, and I find many believers are, are not living in. And it's, uh, I believe we will, we will grow, and our, our faith will grow, and our closeness to God will grow as we understand and, and apply those things. That's such a great reminder and I love how you went through that because it's really going to encourage a woman who's listening today, especially a woman who has had a life of broken promises, you know, people mm -hmm. who have yes. continually failed her, continually let her down. And it's just so encouraging that these blessings and promises from God are real and he's faithful and he never breaks them and how the blessings that we receive are life-giving for us and how we can focus on that versus only always focusing on sin and what's going on, you know, in the world and all of that, but forgetting what you, what, how you just said that, that we're, you know, we're children of God so we can have abundant life. Yes. Yes. You know, you asked earlier, and I'm going to return to a question about how we were made for Eden. Mm. I, I have a several sentence quote I'd like to read. And it's just this idea that, yeah, when someone who has experienced a lot of pain, usually that's at the hand of another, although we certainly condemn ourselves and our thinking and emotions, but you know, it, it's that they were told they didn't measure up or that, you know, this should be true of their life or their relationships or whatever. And so I contend early in the book, uh, chapter one, that, you know, only God as our creator can tell us how we're doing in our purpose. So, uh, you know, he, the purpose we were made for can only be established by the creator mm -hmm. and therefore how well we're doing in that, uh, that he says we should succeed at. And so I say from the earliest pages of the Bible, God had a purpose in creating mankind. We were created in his image uh, or as a reflection of the divine. God gave us a responsibility to rule over creation. We were made to steward what belongs to God. We were made for Eden. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, I just want us to understand that that this idea of being made for Eden, uh, certainly it starts in Genesis, but 
to me, it's carried through in the idea of, of what we have to steward, what responsibilities we have by being members of the household um, and, and the inheritance that's ours to help live that out. Mm. That is so beautiful. And thinking about the fact that so often people will fall into the lie of their life has no purpose, mm-hmm. that they have no, that there's no meaning. And, you know, again, it's probably based on past wounds and circumstances and just looking like there's no hope for their future. And so I love how you are connecting that to the person who's listening right now who needs to really seek the Lord and know that he created us on purpose. And we hear that a lot on purpose for a purpose, but it's not just cliche, you know, it's truly what God has done. And so when you were writing, because there's so many wonderful nuggets of truth all throughout in these powerful statements in your book, what was the most difficult chapter to write, do you think? Mm, Great question. I mean, there were some that I obviously edited more than others. And so we could call that a difficulty, Mm -hmm. but I, as I've talked about the book post-publication, you know, that this idea of us having a purpose, having uh, something to do that's significant while we're on earth, not just waiting for heaven, I would have to say it'd be the, the question of, of our fallen world and of suffering. So chapter 10 it was very much meant to deal with the skeptic of this whole premise that that what we were made for was not lost uh, through the fall, but was redeemed and rescued in the work of Christ. So, you know, I, I've told others that I didn't, I don't try to solve the question of evil in one chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would, that would require a, uh, you know, a much longer treatment to, to even to, you know, attempt. So what I do is I say, what did, what did particularly Paul do in light of the fallenness of the world? You know, Paul speaks often about, you know, that in the last days, difficult times will come. People will, you know, be lovers of self, lovers of money, all those things in Timothy, you know, Paul foresaw how sin was going to affect the world, you know, for, for eons past his own life, I feel. And that's why his letters are so powerful to the church is, you know, he, he has long lists of things that he says, these are displeasing to God. You know, if you're this and you're that, those would receive, you know, the, the wrath of God. But what, where I see in him is that he rose above his circumstances uh, that were because of the fallenness of the world and, and the evil in people to, to a place of, of just a focus on God, a focus on his own unique mission. I mean, again, your, your podcast, Fierce Calling, you know, Paul knew he was called to the Gentiles. Um, I had somebody tell me recently, a pastor said, you know, well, he persecuted Jews so much, he probably felt like that avenue was closed off to him. So you know, God got him to the Gentiles. And, although that was a, a neat way of looking at it. But you know, Paul, Paul could say, you know, I, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been hungry, I've been thirsty, but a greater concern than all of these is the concern for the churches. I mean, who says that kind of thing? You know, that if we had, you know, well, uh, I've had cancer and I've had this and I've had poverty and, you know, in our day, we could name all another list, you know, but to say, you know, just really caring for other people is what, that's my greatest concern. Um, Paul had the power of the gospel across his life after his dramatic conversion shows me that it is possible 
um, to live beyond the suffering and evil in the world. Um, and, and that, that's what I wanted to focus on in that chapter. So it was, it was difficult to write, but if people are going to embrace this mindset that I have, I have significant things to do in, in God's, uh, under God's authority and by his power while I'm on earth, then I have to rise above, you know, the circumstantial. And, and in part, I think Paul says we do that by you know, life in the spirit. You know, it says those who are led by the spirit of the sons of God, Romans 8, you know, we, we have to get beyond our, our fleshly responses to the things we see around us and those soulish responses and, uh, and live from spirit and by spirit. I love that your book addresses that. And when we see such a powerful transformation, that's undeniable that it can't be anything else, but by divine intervention, you know, when someone's yes. life is transformed like that. And how God didn't leave any of those really hard details out to show us that. So I love that so much. And um, so, but what was one of the most enjoyable chapters that you wrote? You know, I, I say that my favorite is probably the chapter four on new creation, because I think it's so pivotal to understanding who we are is to understand, you know, again, that the the death to self and the you know what what Paul calls the crucified life and in Galatians two twenty that you know his life now is lived out through us and that kind of you know whatever whatever good is going to come from our life is because he loved me and gave himself for me uh, as Galatians says so um, I find another quote that sort of relates to that this is actually in the in the last chapter but it's, it's from George MacDonald who was just a tremendous writer his unspoken sermons are, are very powerful. Uh, that series, but he says, what we need is not to make more happen through our life, but rather we need more life so we can be involved in the father's business until he returns. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's the perspective that that chapter, you know, goes back to the being, you know, plowed and, and replanted is that, you know, once we are new creations, you know, it's, I, the pressure's off, you know, he's living his life through us. Um, we, we live by his direction. And, you know, I've said in other settings that just as the life of Jesus was one of, of extreme yieldedness to the father's will, where it says, you know, I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear the father say, you know, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, you know, all those statements to show that he, you know, while he had, had, left heaven to come to earth he very much saw himself as the son of man that's why he uses that term to describe himself so often is that look i'm i'm coming to be an example for you i'm not just coming to be your savior and of course peter picks up that idea and says we're to follow in his steps so you know we we've got to i think it's my favorite because it's so pivotal that we understand that we are new we are uh, now able to be a proper vessel for god to live through us and that, you know, he's the one that's going to give fruit to the, uh, to the tree. He's the one that's going to bring something beautiful out of our story um, as, we, as we live yielded, you know, live as having already died. You know, Paul says, I'm, I, to stay here or to go, either one's good with me, you know, because mm -hmm. I've already given my life to him. And, uh, again, I just find his, his perspective on life very, very powerful and very challenging to um, uh, living as a new creation. Yeah, that is so precious, too, and such a wonderful picture of what surrender truly means, yes. surrendering our life to him. Yes, it is. That's so good. And, and the reminder, too, uh, about the fact that it's God that produces the fruit. And 
we oftentimes try to help them do that, or we think we're in charge of that. <laughs> yeah, we try to put the miracle grow on it. <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> or the what is that chia pet thing or something? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, just see it see it grow before your eyes. Huh? Exactly. We're we are not chia pets, okay? So, uh, <laughs> and and be sure to get this book because then we can really get a clear picture of who we who we are and not who we aren't. But uh, but I love it, and I love that there is such a powerful message throughout the book and the scripture and all of that. And, and just, you know, of course, like you were talking earlier about Paul, it's, it's just like, he is just somebody that we can all relate to. I mean, we maybe not necessarily the fact that he went out and persecuted Christians, but the right. fact that sin is sin. And there's some sins that people feel like they can't get past or that God right. can't forgive. And that isn't true. Yeah. Yeah. I'll quickly interact with that. I mean, I think he does, you know, if, if God can, can save a persecutor through a dramatic appearance on a, on a road and, and Paul embraces that. So, you know, I spent some time in the book talking about the thief on the cross. Mm. I mean, you know, he didn't get baptized. He didn't say the sinner's prayer as best we know, you know, but the God says today, you will be with me in paradise. And, and I've wrestled with well, why was that? And it's because he recognized who Jesus was. Mm. He said, you know, you don't, you don't deserve to be here. I do. You know, um, I, he acknowledges in some way that, you know, you're the son of God. And if I ask you that I can be with you in paradise today, you have the power to grant that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we've talked about people's you know tough past earlier in, in this session. And, you know, to me, that's why the gospel is such good news is it doesn't matter if you were deserving of a, of a crucifixion or you were a persecutor of, of Christians, God, God overcomes any story in his own story. And, and he does so as we recognize who he is and, and uh, acknowledge that we need him. That's, uh, that's the essence of the offer. That's great. Thinking about, like you were talking about, you know, that the thief on the cross next to Jesus and how sometimes we forget about that and we feel like there's all these things tied to what salvation really means or that we have to earn it or, you know, that we have to go through certain things. But that's so important to remember that it is how we just love and accept Jesus for who he is. And so I love that picture that you just painted for us. We could just see the image of how that all happened and it's yeah. very powerful, very powerful for us. And for us too, it is such a strong thing to forgive. It's not easy. I mean, it's easy to forgive people when the offense might be small, like, yeah. oh, you stole my pen or something, you know? But then when <laughs> the offense is great, it's really hard. And just thinking through, it's like, well, I hope they get what they deserve, but it's like, well, I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. <laughs> That's right. Well, driving to work this morning, I was reminded of the verse. Uh, I was listening to a teaching about, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger uh, and therefore give the devil an opportunity. You know, we uh, one of the real emphases of the book is the victory that we have over the evil one. Mm -hmm. Jesus, literally, it's the, the word uses that he, he made a spectacle of the enemy when he defeated him at the cross. And so he, he's a defeated foe, but, uh, you know, again, and this would take us uh, much more of the broadcast to cover, but, you know, just, I do think there are implications for what this means with our enemy as we live out of who we are 
and understand that, you know, he, he has no entrance to us that we don't grant. Um, and, and like you said, unforgiveness is one of those doors. Uh, anger is one of those doors. And so I was, I was just reminded again, um, I had a situation this week where I, I, I felt some consternation about a situation mm-hmm. and yeah, the Lord just brought some conviction this morning that, wow, you know, don't, don't open that door to your enemy by, uh, by carrying that uh, beyond the day. So yeah, there's, there are so many reminders of what we're, what, how we're meant to respond and to do mm-hmm. by his, his power. And uh, we need to keep those forefront in our mind. Wow. That was really a powerful statement. How you said that there's no entrance to us unless we give him a foothold, you know, we open yes. a door to that and that's something to think about. And sometimes we just want to do it because our flesh feels better about not right. forgiving or yes. being angry. You know, we kind of, want to wallow in that for a little bit, right? So, yes, but we don't realize the toxic things that can happen from that. And it's just toxic to us. And it it just kind of gets in the way of us moving forward in the purposes that God has for us. And so I love this so much. This has been such an amazing conversation. And I know it has been so encouraging to those who are listening today. And if you could tell us, Dr. Brian, how can the listener connect with you and grab your book and find out more about this really important message? Sure. Well, the book is uh, for purchase at all, you know, Amazon, Walmart, Books A Million, uh, other christianbook.com. Um, I do have a personal website I've developed. It's uh, madeforeden.org.org. And I, you know, every few weeks posting some blog content that kind of blends in with the purpose of the book. And uh, there is a, an email contact form on the side if you'd like to, to contact me and, you know, with a, a question or, or a comment of how the book has, has impacted you. But uh, those, those, thank you for uh, asking for those. So madefreedom.org and then uh, just online purchases for the book. That's so great. I love the title. It's made for Eden. There, it's just so clear. Was that the original <laughs> title, or was that like one of the ones that were kind of working titles? Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I'll, I'll quickly tell that story. I, uh, yes, it was the original title. I felt like early on, I got just illuminated that phrase, and so it made the cut. And uh, but I, I go back uh, over ten years to some initial notes that that my writing was going to be a. It was a quote from um, an author, just you know, Tozer, that said there needs to be a revival of sanctified thinking, and and that to see my own words from ten, eleven years ago, and feel like in some sense that was achieved, just to get people thinking. I mean, there's the book is heavily footnoted with scripture. My intent is that people dig into those scriptures and you know, not not prove me wrong, but just you know, to dig in and, and for personal study, and and uh, so. I'm, I am thankful that, uh, I've, I've had that working idea for a decade and that, um, you know, just setting aside some time to hear from him resulted in something that I hope, you know, will be edifying to the church and and encouraging to believers. Yes. It's just so perfect. Made for Eden promises and provisions of the life God created you to live. So thank you so much for being on the show today. And I hope to have you back on. Well, thank you. I've, I've had a wonderful time as well. And I look forward to future conversations. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we will talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. Wasn't that a powerful message that we heard from Dr. Brian McIntosh today? And I wanted to read just a little bit of the description of the book. 
which says, The message reminds readers of the glorious purpose God had for mankind, reveals the implications of Jesus' sacrifice, defines the crucified life Jesus produces in and for his disciples, and displays Jesus as the gateway to restoring us to our created purpose. What an amazing book. And so be sure to grab that. And I have the links in the show notes, and you can check that out and connect with Dr. Brian McIntosh. And I'd love to hear your comments of having a brother in Christ on the show. I'd love to do that here and there. And it's just something that we want to hear a different perspective and encouragement from a man of God. And so friends, thank you so much for joining me today. And as always, reach out to me at dariswift.com with any comments, or anything you would like to share. And I would love also the opportunity to speak at your next women's event. So keep that in mind, friends, as I book my calendar. And so friends, I know that God is in control and so do you. And just be encouraged by that because even though there's so many hard things in the world right now, he is sovereign. And I hope you join me next time when I talk with another guest who is taking action where their passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend, have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you soon.